Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Smaller Growing Podcast. This is part three of the six planned podcasts discussing the perfect, air quotes, property pyramid. This pyramid lays out what five aspects or traits of a property I feel I've seen in or on every property I know that has yielded sustained success for hunters chasing not just whitetail deer, but bucks that sit in that top 15% or so of their localized deer herds age bracket. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the rung down from the top. So we already discussed food in the last episode. That's that very smallest piece at the very top. We're going to move down one, and we're going to talk about layers and zones. And it may be what you're thinking, but it also may not be. And we're going to unpack it a little bit. This is one of the harder ones to try to create an image in your head through a podcast format. But I'm going to try to do my best in this episode of the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast. You are listening to the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast, the hunting podcast that is free of advertisements, bought and paid for opinions, and minutes and minutes of sponsorships. If that's what you want, there's a plethora of other podcasts out there. Here, we're going to talk openly, we're going to talk honestly, and we're going to live in the real world. Free of sponsorships and paid for advertisements and opinions that are governed and dictated by them. That sounds interesting. Stay tuned for this episode of the Small Lake Hunting Podcast. All right. I am extremely excited, and it has been amazing to hear the well-received messages and uh, comments and likes and such that the first two parts have gotten, and I look forward to hopefully uh, continuing to divulge and discuss and uh, raise thoughts in your head, you know, get you thinking. That's really the only objective I've ever really had is to get people to think um, and possibly care a little bit more about certain things. So as already touched on in the opener before the music, this is the third of six planned podcasts that are discussing the uh, perfect property uh, pyramid, if you will. Now, of course, there's always going to be a few atypical or unique situations that don't quite fit my pyramid. However, I also must admit my pyramid is geared towards, believe it or not, shocking, I know, smaller acre properties. Um, What we're going to discuss today is arguably more and more important the smaller the property is. Um, I think layering and zoning and departmentalizing everything on your property becomes extremely important depending on the property makeup um, of, of, of the area but also the size of your property and let's actually you know start there I guess I, I, I'll, I'll go there with it um, you know the the benefit there's a lot of benefits to having a higher acre parcel now when I'm talking about higher acre parcels I'm talking about those that are starting to get near that 100 figure and I know for some people listening that's not even big. They're, you know, when they think, they think 200 or more, things like that. But, you know, you got to remember, I grew up hunting like seven, eight acres of woods. Um, I only own just shy of 23. Um, Pops now owns just shy of 30. That's a unique situation in a river bottom and such. Um, so you're talking to or, or listening to a guy who has never really been blessed with large acreage type hunting. Now, there is a property that I have permission to hunt, which is a blessing and a curse and has been a world of blessings and headaches and all kinds of stuff. But uh, 
that's another story for another day. But even that property really hunts smaller than even mine because it is ag, open ag, and then open timber and relies on deer bedding somewhere else. You know, there's really no reason for deer to be on that property during uh, midday daylight hours because there's not it, the design is lacking there. You know, there was a great discussion. They called it the great debate that happened between um, Don Higgins and Tony LaPratt. And, you know, both are legends in the field. But when we start talking about the ins and outs of designing a property, I do tend to think a little bit more on the lines of Tony. Um, Tony is a lot like me. Not blessed with tons of acreage, um, uh, not blessed with the ability to kind of be an oasis, if you will, out in the middle of everywhere. Now, both of those guys, I think, can make any property sing. But Tony said a few things in that debate that I was like, yes, I mean, (laughs) it is so true. And one of them is on small properties, you've got to maximize every square inch, every square foot of that property. You want every piece with a purpose. And that's one of the keys. And the biggest thing that I want to be able to do is offer a property that a mature buck, one, feels safe on and secure on, but also as he's traversing it and traveling it, he he is forced to spend some time on it. And what I mean by that is, you know, by design, the more you create layers to your property, um, depth of your property, um, when you start making sections feel like a different area, a different property, you are in essence creating a depth to your property that otherwise would not exist. And when you're a small property, that can be an acre here, a two-acre spot here. Um, You know, I I knew somebody who has walked a few of uh, properties that were designed by uh, Jake Ellinger. And the one thing that they keep, that you, they, they kept saying, or I've heard brought up a lot is, property feels a lot bigger than what it is and that's what this layer of the pyramid is trying to accomplish the more things or the more styles or the more rooms and departments that you make in your property it feels bigger it offers more um you know, it's 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 one of those things where modern day, the open concept living room, kitchen, dining room, all in one that is taking over the residential uh, industry, if you will. The one good, you know, people love it, but it takes more square footage typically for the eye or the person to feel the house house's size um you know i can remember 
few of my relatives and that living in an old farmhouse. That house felt so big to me because there were hallways and there were so many bedrooms. And yes, they were all small, but it just felt big. And then as I grew older, or as I began to realize it, it, it wasn't necessarily that there was a large footprint, but it had been chopped up into a bunch of little pieces, into a bunch of little offerings, and each room offered something different. Each room had a different purpose. Um, sometime, or each room was decorated differently. I mean, it, all these little things made it feel like there was so much more there than what was actually there when you were talking about square footage of it. And it would take somebody, you know, if you th- just to keep that analogy going, if I had to go in and I was looking for something, say I was playing hide-and-seek with my two-and-a-half-year-old, in an old farmhouse. It's going to take me twice as long to find him than it would in modern-day building styles of homes because of the large open-concept areas that occur. You know, oh, I just checked the dining room, the kitchen, the living room, and the pantry all with one swoop, and I didn't even have to open a door. That's what we want for our properties. That's what we should want for our deer, our mature bucks, we want them to be able to feel safe because they're off in their own little bedroom and they can check. And, you know, if they're looking for a hot doe, they've got to kind of look and seek and, and check here and check there. And they can't just do it lickety split very easily. And the advantage to building a property that does this is if a buck is on your property traversing it, it's going to slow them down. You slow them down, they're there longer. They're there longer, you have more shot opportunities. If they're there longer, you've also taken less shot you've taken shot opportunities from people off of your property because they're on yours. You cannot create a property that's going to, you know, have a buck or a deer on your property 24/7, 365 every day of the week. But when they're there, we want them and their time to be maximized on our property. That's why I'm a big advocate of, especially on smaller properties, typically I'm not doing large food plots. I want multiple doe family groups to be able to be feeding on my property without feeling that stress of another doe family group. If the property is set up appropriately, it might be able to have three doe family groups on 22 acres feeding and never even see the other one. I could have on my property, if I'm thinking about it, one, two, three, four. I could have four different, you know, doe family groups of three to five deer-ish, give or take, all feeding one evening on my property and not actually be able to see the other one. Um, Maybe at a distance of like 100 yards through a small corridor plot that connects to, but that's what we're looking for. We want our property to feel bigger than what it is because it offers a lot of different styles and departments and bedrooms and and everything. And that's why, typically speaking, when we're talking about bedding areas, yes, it's true you're going to look at things on a grand scale of like, this is the bedding area. 
this 12 acre section I want to turn into bedding. And then you go into that 12 acres, you know, you lay it out on maybe a piece of paper or on the computer. And then you start envisioning how you want to sculpt that into a variety of different areas. So you have your hotel, that's that 12 acre spot or five acre spot or seven acre spot or 30 acre spot. I mean, it depend, it's dependent on the property. You have your hotel. Well, then you have your chunks or your floors inside the hotel. This four or five acre area doesn't really have a bunch of really mature trees, but it has a lot of, you know, bicep and calf and maybe hamstring sized uh, trees. I'm going to uh, incorporate a lot more in this section some hinge cutting corridors and a lot more uh, canopy removal through hinge cutting to provide a structure and give them uh, different bedrooms that way and I'm going to create trails through these side the the hinge cuts are going to provide not just site but food as well as back structure and cover and I can offer inside of this two to four acre area um, maybe four or five different little bedrooms little offshoots and such so we went from our hotel to our floor to then inside that floor we have tons of bedroom offerings. Now we come back out and we're looking at the floors again and there's an area um, to the south of where that hinging is. There's a, there's a ton of mature maples and oaks. Not many saplings and smaller trees. Um, I'm going to go in there and you know what? We're going to mature... We're going to cut every mature tree uh, in this whole section. Just to keep this image going, um, if we can get a logger in there, we're going to log it hard. If not, we're going to cut and we're going to haul out or we're going to leave them set. But we're going to cut every mature tree there possibly is. So it's going to be more of a clear-cut style, and we're going to let that regenerate. So now we've got a different floor, a different offering, a different type of growth is going to be occurring in this section and we're also when we fall these trees we're going to cut through them we're going to make sure there's trails weaving all throughout these you know create hallways and corridors just like we did with the hinges we're going to do that with treetops and we're going to cut through trunks if we want trees uh, deer to walk through in certain spots and we're going to make sure there's trails weaving in and around and we might make one or two of those um that are conducive for the flow of the property towards maybe the food plots, maybe towards the stand or whatever, as they run down that corridor, we're going to take some trails that lead out of the hinge cut area and into this area. And then there's a third area to the, uh, let's just say to the Northwest of the large mature area that we just clear cut and to the West of the hinge cut area that has a lot of light exposure saplings it's an older field type spot maybe there's four or five acres there there's a lot more grasses out there um, so we've naturally got another form of uh, cover if you will but it's not one that necessarily has a lot of structure in it once the winter hits or that grass falls down but there's a there's a decent speckled amount of um, saplings out there it's similar to an area on my property where i had a lot of poplars and cottonwoods starting to pop up and a couple oaks or those 
uh, invasive calorie Bradford pear type trees. But there's no side cover. There's no cover out there, really. You can see through it very easily. Well, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to hinge cut over basically all of those trees out there. And what that does is, even if they die, I'm providing side cover out here in this grass-enriched area. And this floor offering of bedrooms is entirely different than any of the other two. I've now departmentalized inside of my bedding area and sanctuary... I've offered even more so, and I'm going to have trails interwoven in there, and then trails that connect that section to the hinge section, that section to the clear-cut section, and then perhaps there's some uh, clover plots and such that wind on the west side of things for east wind scenarios, and I'm going to have trails leading out into that. And you begin to see how this departmentalizing of the, of the bedding area a buck's going to have to check all of those areas. Yes, you know, he could have a north wind and he could run the southern edge of it. It's true. But we all know, and we've all hunted long enough, that that buck's not necessarily always going to trust just his nose in that case. And if it's a bedding area, there's going to be a lot of fresh and old mixed scents in there. Oftentimes, that buck's going to want to go check the bedrooms. He knows where the deer like to bed and he's going to swoop through there and he's going to have to take his time weaving through those trails and around and such. More time on your property, more chance to kill him, more time spent off of other properties. You can do this with food as well. You know, I am a big fan of segmenting your food. Um, I was blessed that my property had a whole bunch of fallow fields on it. And I used that growth and the growth of the wild raspberry bushes and such. I didn't have to plant screening cover. I basically just had to brush hog where I wanted my food plots and not brush hog where I wanted cover. Um, I've got a lot of winterberry issue vines that uh, are choking stuff out. But these islands of cover act as my separation and my blockading and my, my segmenting to where I've taken my food delivery to the deer in a similar fashion. You know, I've got my food court if you will. I've got an area of the property where is mainly food driven. I'm not asking deer to bed necessarily there. Now I've got food woven in and around other bedding options and clover plots and such. But you know, if you think about it, even with your food, you've got your food court and you've got multiple different restaurants or offerings within that. And then each of those restaurants have menu items. So, you know, you've got your food area, and maybe you segment it into three one-acre food plots. Those are your restaurants. And then inside of each of those, maybe you're cycling back and forth, depending on uh, what your goals are and what your soil types are. Perhaps you maybe take one of those one-acre spots, and, and the northern half of it is all cereal grains one, one fall, and the southern part is all brassicas. And then you flip it the next year. Maybe you go more with a diverse planting, and then you do some spring plantings. Maybe you do clover every now and then. And in those three, you always try to have cereal grains, brassicas, and clover at some degree in each of those food plots. Uh, maybe you even, in one of those food plots, you um, to encourage them to work an edge, you plant a finger of Egyptian wheat or hybrid sorghum kind of in a point shape that points directly at a blind, but that pinches that food plot more into like a, 
a kidney or a V and it encouraged, and you put a, uh, maybe a tree at that point, or maybe you put a, a four by four post with an artificial scrape. Maybe you hang a, a rope or a vine there and you encourage scraping right there. And now you've created a point and a hub on that food plot and that cover finger that you've planted either with, uh, Egyptian weed or, Maybe you played the long-term game and planted uh, miscanthus. Now you've pinched it down and you've enhanced or encouraged at least deer to use that pinch point, use that uh, point of communication hub right there, and elevate your shot options. So this is just a way to take your property to the next level. Now, I will be honest, this sounds extremely crucial, and it is, but the most important thing is getting your areas established or planned out, and then you can start departmentalizing them from there. Um, the The biggest key is to, you know, go in and do the work and, and get things set up and then go back and refine them. Um, I, that wasn't the best way to put that, but uh, I'm going to leave it in the episode. Um, but you know, I guess if I could try to make an attempt at that again, I think don't get caught up. This is what I'm trying to say. Don't get caught up in the fine details of the bedrooms. If you don't have the floors set up and don't get caught up in the floors, if you don't have the hotel set up. So keep the big picture items and then work from there. Um, you know, getting all this done takes time it takes years unless you are blessed to have a ton of help a ton of money ton of equipment um you know you're going to need a lot of any of those things or all those things if you want to try to do an entire property overhaul in like one or two years i don't hardly get to many habitat days because of my job obligations life obligations servitude at the church raising my son now like, I just don't have the time that I, I would otherwise like to have to go to the property. So I have to be very um, structured and planned in my approaches to it. So uh, remember that, you know, this is this is something that you're building and working towards. Um, and remember, there are a few things that are much more important, in my opinion, than creating these tiny little things you got to remember we still haven't gotten to the three biggest pieces which just a little bit of a teaser for the future the next episode is going to discuss the limited or designed pressure aspects of the property and then the final two are going to touch on entrance and exit and security and to be honest security and pressure and entrance and exits all those three are woven together very much so, um, nearly to the point where I could have put limited and designed pressure down on the bottom as well and had three things on the base of this pyramid. Um, but I'll explain why uh, perhaps it's all by itself there on that third rung right above the base on the next episode. But uh, hopefully this made sense. Hopefully discussing the various bedrooms and the concepts and the image that I gave you kind of helps you correlate it to your property. Um, and at least gets you thinking, how can I better micromanage my areas of my property? And go from there. So in closing, I wanted to share something that is not necessarily hunting related. 
Um, but I just feel compelled to to put it out there and share with you guys. So I'm actually part of my church softball team. I coach it and everything. And we started about uh, five years ago, five seasons ago, a fundraising campaign where we try to raise money for a local nonprofit in our area. And I understand not many of you are from my area, but I just figured I would put it out there. Um, we are a community, and perhaps there's somebody listening that would be so compelled to help us. Um, this year, we are raising funds again through uh, Project Home Run is what we call our, our fundraising campaign. And we are raising money for a local chapter of Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Um, if you follow uh, Dirty Jobs, uh, I'm completely forgetting that guy's name uh, right now. But amazing guy. Well, he did some segments where he basically uh, shined the spotlight on some amazing people doing amazing works. And Sleep in Heavenly Peace's original creator, which I think was in Utah or something like that, it's, it was somewhere out west, he just started making beds for kids that were otherwise sleeping on the floors. Um, and we have a local chapter in my county that I, I reside in. So amazingly, last year we raised $14,000, and they built somewhere between six and 75, 60 and 75 beds, um, and the demand is still there. Um, which is just gut-wrenching to think that we have kids that don't even have their own bed, let alone are sleeping on the floor. So what they do is, you know, they get requests and they vet them and everything, and then they basically, they have have what are known as build days, and you build beds. They basically use lumber and build them, sand them, smooth them down, smooth the corners and everything, and they build these beds, uh, either standalone or bunk beds, and they get mattresses for them, sheets, blankets, pillows, like these beds are basically ready to go for these kids um, when they're delivered. So uh, we chose them again. There's just something about knowing that we have kids in our community sleeping on the floor that just punches me in the gut. So the biggest way that we ask people to support us is keep us in prayer if you can. And if you want to learn more, well, we do have a website. It's www.projecthrcampaign.com. Um, of course, stands for Project Home Run Campaign.com, but uh, the HR in the middle instead of Home Run. The other way is, you know, we take pledges basically for each home run hit. So if that's something that maybe you would consider doing or uh, you'd like to throw your support in that. You can contact me, um, even through Small Acre Hunting, and just say, hey, I, I feel called to maybe send you guys uh, a donation or you'd like to pledge. Uh, we take pledges as small as a quarter, a home run, and we will collect in September. Um, all payments by check are written out to Sleep in Heavenly Peace. There is no money that actually gets given to us. It is 100% of all donations and pledges are sent to the nonprofit each year. I cover the the payment for our website. Um, we get these little thank you cards that we we may or these prayer cards I should say that we give to people locally that, that donate. Um, those are covered by me and other people. So just figured I'd put it out there and apologize for those of you who that offends. That's not my intent, of course. I think anybody, whether you're religious or not, can agree getting kids their own beds 
is special. And that's something that I think we need to need to do. So, um, and if you have a local chapter, look it up, sleep in heavenly peace and see if there's a local chapter in your area. And you know what, if you're not given to us, maybe give to them, you know, the cost of a bed in our area is roughly $200 to them. So, you know, find maybe sponsor half a bed or buy a bed at least, or find your local chapter and do, do something, or, you know, just let this be a spurring moment in your mind and in your heart to do some, some good, you know, go out and make somebody's day. Um, smile at them, hold a door open for them, buy them a coffee, do a, do a small act, a small gesture. Um, I forget who said it, but, you know, the smallest act of kindness is greater than any act. What is it called? Oh, my gosh. I, I would totally blow that. <laughs> I would do that. Let me, I got to find it now. Now we're just going to bog this down. The the smallest act of kindness is worth more than the greatest intention. Oscar Wilde. So just kind of keep that in your heart. Keep that in your mind. And uh, thank you for tuning in. As always, it means the world to me. Um, if you've enjoyed this series that we're doing, this is part three. We're halfway home. We've got three more episodes of this six-part planned series where we discuss the perfect property pyramid where I delve into traits and things that I find on every successful property in my opinion that you can do on yours or you need to try to do um, now and get you thinking on how to deliver it to the deer. So this is Ty. God bless and good luck out there.